a really nice little spot there. So I will send out details uh, about that within uh, a week or so. So Palm Sunday, Good Friday night, and Easter Sunday morning will be the sort of lineup, all right? We are in the book of Romans, as you know, and now part 11. Romans is so deep that we're going to put it on pause for Easter and then come back to it after Easter, all right? We are floating in the vicinity of chapter 12 now, but there's 16 chapters, and they're all good. So I don't want to go too fast uh, with Romans, and uh, today we're in chapter 12, and I'm calling uh, this message today, This is the Way. This is the Way. You know where that comes from? We'll test your pop culture knowledge. Okay, yeah, but when I say this is the way and I'm talking about pop culture, not the Bible, where's it coming from? Say again? Sinatra. Oh, the, I did it my way. Okay, that's, that's pop culture, but pop culture from a few years ago, I heard somebody else say, yeah, it's from Mandalorian. Yeah, this is the way, all right? Now, maybe you don't, you've never heard of the Mandalorian before, but um, I'm going to take a little bit of a risk and uh, tell you about the Mandalorian. If you're my age, you grew up on Star Wars, right? And uh, I grew up on it. And this is a very popular uh, streaming series on, uh, I think it's only on Disney+. Plus. You say, Disney+, Plus? How, can you, how can you watch something, Pastor Joe, on that woke channel, you know? On the, how can you watch? Well, folks, I'm just telling you, it's very popular. And they have this great line in this streaming series. And the Mandalorian, really, it's like an old Western, just popped into science fiction, you know, in space and all of that. But it really is just an old Western story. And he's the sort of main hero character, you know, and he's, he's raising a little, a little green guy. What's the green guy's name? Grogu, yeah. So we've got some fans here, and Grogu's about this big. But, you know, Grogu uses the force and all of this. And it's really a, really a cute actually a cute show and very clean uh, you know if you want to show it to your kids it's, I, I, I like the show but they have this line in it and uh, the Mandalorian it's kind of the it's sort of like a little religious group these people from Mandalore or wherever it is and they can never take off their helmet and they have a certain ethic that they follow a certain rules that they follow and in the story, uh, this, this character, this main character, he gets to a point where he takes his helmet off, you see. And so that's like a huge sin in their culture. And so he has to go and he's told to go and bathe in the living waters to redeem himself and be reunited with his sort of religious group, you know. And any time they, they do anything and they're talking to one another, they all say the same thing. They say, this is the way, this is the way, this is the way. It's a really, really neat line. And of course, it makes me think of the Bible. And maybe some of you, you think of the Bible as well. But when you talk about the way of Jesus, the way of Jesus, and even in the book of Acts, we sometimes see it was called the way. Uh, the word Christian is not used very often in the New Testament at all. Uh, sometimes they would say followers of the way and so on, but uh, the term Christian started to be used a little bit later, more frequently. But when we talk about the way of Jesus, 
How does God expect the Christ follower to live? Just like in really simple, practical terms, what does God expect? What is the way of Jesus in a practical sense? Because when you read the first 12 chapters of the book of Romans, you see a lot of heavy themes of theology and you really have to have to uh, focus as you're reading it you really have to understand these broad concepts that Paul brings in you know sanctification and justification and forgiveness and redemption and the work of the cross and the work of the spirit and all of these things are, are, are very heavy in the opening chapters really the middle chapters even of the book of Romans and, and so what he's going to do here in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 21, is he's going to get really, really practical. Now, I am intentionally skipping the first eight verses there, which have to do with spiritual gifts. And the reason why I'm skipping that is because I've done that recently, okay? If you zip back to, I think it's a message, the 12th of June, You'll see that on our website, to Facebook, YouTube, and I have a whole thing of spiritual gifts there from Romans 12. We even took you through a survey there to see what your spiritual gifts are. So no need to reinvent the wheel and repeat the message. Zip back to June 12, 2022, and you will find it. But this is something I haven't preached on in a long time, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 21. If you really want to know, folks, what is the Christian supposed to live like? How are they supposed to relate to the world around them and especially to other people? Give it to me practically, Paul. Don't give me all of this heavy theology. My brain is starting to get tired. Just give it to me straight. Just tell me straight, how am I supposed to live? And he's going to do that. And he'll do it really fast, really quickly. And he's going to give you what we could call imperatives. There's about 25 of them in this list. One after the other after the other. They're really simple. They're really easy to understand. They're really clear. Because sometimes you need to be told what to do, folks. Like sometimes you got to cut through the, the theological foundation and you lay the, the theological foundation for the truth and then you then tell me what I'm supposed to do. And this is exactly what he's doing here. Implicit in the fact that he has such a clear list is that these things that we're about to read don't come instinctively. You're not going to instinctively behave this way. You're not going to naturally behave this way. You need to be told to behave this way. And there's a kind of a, of a combination between the work of the Spirit of God in the life of the believer and the believer obeying and doing what they're told. There's a balance between the two. You can't just sit there and say, well, I've become a Christian and now God just does everything for me and everything just sort of drops out of the sky magically and my life is sort of magically transformed and I don't have to do anything. Folks, that's not Christianity, that's hocus pocus. God expects your will to be acting in concert with his will and that's how you are changed. So just because a person is born again does not take away their obligation to obey 
uh, question was asked this week. We did a little little um, kind of uh, discussion, myself and some of the band members, about baptism. And a great question was asked. person said, but why should I be baptized? If baptism is an outward expression of my faith, a demonstration to people that I believe, well, I do that already. Why do I have to be baptized then in water? And it was, it's a great question, folks, but it was interesting just observing the little group there. And one by one, they all said the same thing, because Jesus said so. <laughs> it's called obedience. Jesus said, be baptized. So ultimately, you do what he says. He said, do it, you do it, right? So sometimes you need to be told what to do. And there's a balance between the work of the Spirit of God and obedience in the life of the believer. As you're reading Romans, I've said it before, but a little tip for you. You want to read next to Romans, the book of Galatians. Galatians and Romans together. We call this the literature of protests sometimes. In the Protestant Reformation, these are the two foundational letters uh, that were used to, to build the idea that, hey, we're saved by faith in the work of Jesus, by what he did. And then we follow suit and we're changed as a result, okay? So I'm going to go through these one by one. But what I want you to do as we go through them is to think about, um, in your own mind's eye, the, the biggest conflict that you have right now that's happening in your life. It could be with a person. It could be with a group of people. It could be at your work. It could be at your school. The biggest conflict that you have. Now, maybe you're managing it well. Could be your spouse. Could be with your kids. Could be with your parents. Maybe you're managing it well. Maybe you're keeping it under control. You, you, you've learned certain skills as how to cope with this conflict and how to manage this conflict. But maybe it's off the rails. Maybe it's out of control, you know? Maybe, as it were, your, your marriage is headed for the rocks. It's headed for a divorce. Maybe your, your kids are out of control, whatever. Your boss is, like, it's so bad that, it, that it, you, you can barely go to work. I don't know. Maybe it's totally off the rails. But wherever that conflict is at, I want you to think of the worst one. You know, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being it's managed, maybe it's a 1, you're managing it well. Or maybe it's a 10, it's ridiculously out of control. Just think of that conflict, all right? And, and we're going to go through this, this list together. Uh, but when we talk about Christian behavior, we need to first put a little caveat out there because it's in the minds of many people. Many people look at Christians today and look at the church today uh, from a skeptical point of view from a jaded point of view because they say and you could i mean you, you you could quote it so many people say it they say the church is filled with it's on the screen hypocrites the church is filled with you didn't even want to say it the church is filled with hypocrites and you got these people with these masks on right there this is what a hypocrite was back in the first century this is a word meant you had an actor and they would put a mask on a smiley face or sad face or whatever and they would be acting out in the streets and and, and so people say the church is filled with hypocrites i don't want your jesus the church is filled with hypocrites and so on uh, because I've seen the behavior of, of you lot, 
and I'm not impressed. You're supposed to be living one way, and you're living another way, and so I'm not becoming a Christian for this reason. I'm just here to tell you, as offensive as it may sound, that is a really bad excuse to not become a Christian. Folks, there's hypocrisy in the mosque. There's hypocrisy in the temple. There's hypocrisy in the, the, the coven. There's hypocrisy in the atheist group. There's hypocrisy everywhere. And be careful when you charge people with hypocrisy that you yourself are not guilty of the same thing. Because the likelihood that you who call other people hypocrites are a hypocrite is very high. Hypocrisy is inane to human nature, folks. All of us are. I am, you are, at one point or another, going to be guilty of hypocrisy. The nice thing about the church, the gathering of people, is that we can work on our hypocrisy. We can look at it, we can call it what it is, and we have hopefully a safe place to work on hypocrisy and fix hypocrisy. Jesus had big issues with hypocrisy. Paul had big issues with hypocrisy. And as we learned earlier in Romans, they never say you're not allowed to judge. What they do say is you're not allowed to judge in a hypocritical fashion. So the New Testament is very clear about hypocrisy, but folks, it's it's part of human nature. It's part of the fall. That is a terrible excuse to not become a Christian. I heard uh, uh, one person say it this way. Um, if you have a, a classical composer Beethoven and someone's playing Beethoven and they play it badly, whose fault is that? Beethoven's fault or the player's fault? It's the player's fault. Beethoven wrote the music. If someone's playing it badly, that's not Beethoven who you blame. You blame the player. You say, that sounds really bad. I mean, a person's going to stand before God one day, and he's going to ask the question, what did you do with my son Jesus? He revealed himself to you in such and such a fashion. What did you do with him? Did you surrender your life to him? Did you receive what he did for you on the cross, or didn't you? And if you turn around and you say, well, all of his followers were hypocrites, and so I didn't follow him. You know what God will turn around and ask? He'll say, are you calling my son a hypocrite? Because it's not about the church, folks. Your decision to become a Christian is not about the followers of Jesus. It's about Jesus himself, himself. So it's a bad excuse. Just because you see people not lining up to what we're about to read, that's no excuse to reject Christ. Starting in verse uh, 9 of Romans chapter 12, I'm going to read this in different versions for you because when you poke into the language of the original, you see some things that are a little bit watered down sometimes, depending on the translation. So I'm going to flip back and forth uh, from different translations here. Love must be sincere. A more literal rendering of this, it's in a bit older English. Love must be without dissimulation. I like this word. Shrinking from evil clinging to what is good without dissimulation means without uh, 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 it's not fake 
it's sincere hence the translation love must be sincere authentic it's without dissimulation it's without hypocrisy it's without acting it's authentic it's not fake it shrinks from evil and clings to what is good i want you to remember how he uses these terms good and evil because you can take verse 9 where he starts this this little passage it's almost like a little sermon on the mount of paul and you can take verse 9 and verse 21 and you can see he's talking about the same thing and in between it's like a sandwich and the and the the bread is verse 9 and verse 21 because verse 21 says do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good hmm love must be sincere without dissimulation it shrinks from evil it clings to what is good i'm going to put this out there uh for your consideration folks you know we talk a lot in the church about uh, spiritual warfare and we have different terms that we use to try and describe this and you have people on the one side and they go crazy with demons and everything is demons and everything is exorcisms and all of this stuff and then on the other side you've got people who say this is all rubbish and we're, we're Christians we don't have to worry about this stuff right in the middle folks is this passage because what we're about to read if people behave this way they're winning the war against evil this these traits have to do with clinging to what is good and shrinking from what is evil shrinking away from it overcoming evil with good that that is spiritual warfare folks yes there's the side where it gets into you know demons and all of this stuff but most of us don't deal in that area most of us deal in the practical everyday life think of that conflict that you are having whether it's a one or whether it's a ten that there folks you have to win at that level when you win at that level you're dealing in good and evil in this very in these very practical uh, uh, imperatives and admonitions of paul so start then in verse 10 be devoted to one another honor one another above yourselves above yourselves so who are you looking out for if you're a follower of the way of jesus yourself or your neighbor your neighbor so the, the you're not you you are not the priority in the relationship the priority is the other person first and not you first instinctively we want to be first right and what he's saying here same thing that jesus says in the sermon on the mount is that you think of that other person first before you think of yourself honor one another above yourselves be devoted to one another it's an interesting story uh, 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 study if you look at all of the one another's in the bible's new testament and you, you study just those one another's, you will see admonition after admonition like this. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. We instinctively want to be first, and yet here we're being told you're second, not first. Look for the other person before you look for yourself. Hmm, not easy. Uh, verse, uh, verse 11 
in, in my translation here, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I like, I like the way when you poke into the Greek, it's a little different. As to diligence, not slothful or lazy, warm in spirit, serving the Lord, verse 12, in hope rejoicing in affliction enduring in prayer steadfastly continuing oh that's a i i really love that in in a, a different translation be joyful in hope patient in affliction faithful in prayer folks you're going to have moments of hope in life you're going to have moments of affliction in life and hopefully you're praying in a steadfastly continuing fashion these are admonitions this is how the christian is supposed to live as to diligence not slothful it's not um, uh, uh, lazy never be lacking in zeal keep your spiritual fervor you know what attracts people to christianity is when you have a passionate christian when you have a person who's a Christian and they're passionate about their faith and their faith means something to them, that's attractive to the non-Christian. That's why I tell you, watch the testimonies of the people who were baptized yesterday. You can see their faith actually means something to them. They're not just going through the motions. There's a zeal there. There's a... Um, uh, 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 a fire there that they have about their relationship with God. And this is the way the follower of Jesus is supposed to live. Verse 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Wow, again, that's, that's along the lines of thinking of the other person first. I remember a, a vacation that we took to the uh, province of New Brunswick, and uh, we were stunned uh, visiting New Brunswick. We drove all the way over there, went to PEI and so on. Many of you have, have, have done that before. And we were stunned at the hospitality of the culture. Those of you who are from there or you've been there, you, you know what I mean. You can be walking around in the grocery store and people start talking to you. Uh, why are you talking to me? I'm from Quebec. People don't talk to you in the grocery store in Quebec unless they're trouble. <laughs> you know? Like, oh, how are you doing? Would you like to come over for lunch? Uh, what is this, the cult? What are, you, what are you talking to me like this? Hospitality is a part of their culture. And in the, in the Christian way, th this is to be a, a part of the culture of the Christian. Again, share with the Lord's people who are in need. I've seen it in church life over and over again, and even outside of church life in the sense that the Christian shares just with anyone who's in need and not just the Lord's people who are in need. There's this, this desire to bless other people. Maybe it's financially, maybe it's practically. There's just this desire. How can I help you? What can I do to serve you? What can I do to be hospitable to you? Uh, I've been on the receiving end of this as well. You know, sometimes people will, they'll, they'll give me a little surprise. They bake something, they cook something, and it's like, here, pastor, here. It's like, 
Oh, wow, what a nice treat. What a nice surprise. That's so hospitable, right? And this is the mark. This is the uh, part of the way of the follower of Jesus sharing, being hospitable. This is the opposite of selfishness. We live in a very selfish culture. It's me first, maybe you after, but me first. And some have said there's two kinds of people in the world, folks. There's givers and there's takers. Which one are we going to be? If we're the follower of Jesus, we're supposed to be the givers, not the takers. Then we start moving into the hard stuff. Bless those who persecute you. Sounds just like Jesus said the same thing. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Person says, you're a Christian. They criticize you. They persecute you. Make fun of you in school. Didn't get the job opportunity. Were ignored for this, ignored for that. And what is the response supposed to be? Well, get them back somehow. We'll, we'll find a way to pay them back. No, you're to bless the one who persecutes you. This is the opposite of instinct, folks. Uh, Jesus put it this way, turn the other cheek. If someone takes your, your cloak, give him your tunic as well. Go the extra mile. What is he saying? He's saying, you know, the, the, the non-Christian person in Jesus' terminology, he says, look, the tax collector, the pagan, they're going to behave the revenge way. They're going to get back the person who does something to them. Anybody can do that. But you are a follower of me. You should be at a higher ethic than that. You should do the reverse of what is expected. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Oh boy, that gets difficult. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, or another translation, rejoice with rejoicing ones, weep with weeping ones. This is the trait of empathy. When you show empathy to people, we live in a culture that is not very empathetic. A lot of people have lost the ability to show basic human empathy toward one another. You can see things in the news where there's violent crime happening right in front of someone's eyes and they do nothing to stop it. No empathy for the suffering at all. It's like we've become numb to it. We've lost our ability to empathize. In the first century, you had a worldview called Stoicism. And the Stoics were not empathetic. They were very Stoic. And here, Jesus or Paul is saying, you're going to rejoice with those who rejoice. That's showing empathy toward them. You care about the fact that they're rejoicing and you rejoice with them. You care about the person who who's in need and who's weeping, you weep with them. Shortest verse in the whole Bible, Jesus wept. Empathy. And we seem to have lost this as a culture. Well, the way of the Christian is the way of 
empathy where you empathize with somebody. You're not a sociopath. You're a Christ follower. And you're able to show authentic empathy for another person. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Verse 16, do not be conceited. That's the reverse of the culture, folks. In the culture, you're climbing up the ladder, stepping on everybody else, trying to get to the top. And people of so-called low position, maybe socially or economically or whatever, well, we don't want to associate with such people. No, that the reverse should be true. Who did Jesus associate with? He associated with people of low position. He associated with people who were pushed aside by the culture, his own culture. It seems like those were the people who were most captivated by Jesus, the people of low position. Do not be conceited. Don't get full of yourself. Yourself, self, self is the problem, problem, problem. And you'll see this uh, in, in Romans 12, 1 to 8. Don't think of yourself as higher than you ought because you are where you are because God put you where you are. It's not because you're some superstar on your own. It's because God put you where you are. He's given you a measure of faith. You need to treat this with sobriety and with humility. Do not be conceited. And I'll tell you folks that non-christian people one thing that irritates them and maybe they have some justification in this is when they see arrogance in the christ follower and conceit in the christ follower this is a a total this is the antithesis of what we should be folks when you show humility it's attractive when you show arrogance it's repulsive the christian should show that humility above all others gets even more difficult verse 17 do not repay anyone evil for evil mm. be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone do not repay evil for evil so someone does evil to you note the use of that word again someone does evil to you the instinct is to repay them the instinct is to get them back and return the evil that they put on you return it and this is this is what we we jump to typically this is our default and he's saying no you are not going to repay and he's going to break this down a little bit more in uh, verse 18 if it is possible as far as it depends on you you live at peace with everyone the implication there are some people that you can't live in peace with but your job is to make the attempt on your end to live at peace with that person well that person did evil to me well how are you going to treat that person are you going to return evil for evil or are you going to do something totally unexpected and totally different and treat that person as if they never did anything to you 
you treat that person the way you would treat anybody else. This is the total opposite of what is expected. This is the total opposite of what comes instinctively. But it is the high ethic of the Christ follower. It is the way of the Christ follower. You do not repay evil for evil. And as far as it depends on you, your end of the relationship, your end of the deal, you are going to live at peace with that person. If that person does not return that to you, that's not your problem. This is why Paul says it this way. It's very sober. And then he says it even, he breaks it down even deeper. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. How many of you have seen it already? Well, okay, some honest people. So on your screen, John Wick chapter 4. Folks, like this, the, we spoke to the theater manager this morning. He was exhausted. He was so tired. He came in. I said, are you okay? He said, I'm exhausted. And I just replied to him and I said, John Wick. And he started laughing because people are flocking to this movie this weekend. This is a series about revenge, folks that sells all right it sells people want to see the bad guys get it and they want to see the bad guys get it in any way possible even the worst way let's see those enemies get it i mean the whole thing started as far as i can understand they killed his dog and that set him off for four movies folks like he's some he's some mad as a hornet that they killed his dog and on and on and on it goes folks it's that need for revenge and this satisfies people because people instinctively want that because they know sometimes the people just get off scot-free don't they Sometimes they just get off and it makes you so mad. So you go and see a movie and you kind of vent your emotions safely, you think, by seeing that revenge and he just brutalizes those people. And, you know, and, and we, we feel that sense of, ah, now they got what they deserved. And John Wick is our hero because, hey, who wants to get their dog killed, right? It sells, but the Christian ethic, and you know this, even, even though you've maybe went and gone and seen the movie, you know in your head, you know that it's an ethic of revenge that's being taught there, and the Christian ethic is, re is the reverse. Do not take revenge. It doesn't sell at the box office, folks. Imagine making a movie about, you know, do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. I don't know if, it would, if, if anybody would want to go see it, right? Uh, so this is why they make these kinds of movies but it's the opposite the opposite our instinct is to take revenge he says no and he continues here and he says it is written and he's going to pull out of the old testament out of the book of deuteronomy it is mine to avenge i will repay says the lord He's better than John Wick. His vengeance is unlike any vengeance that you want to encounter, folks. And God has a way of bringing his vengeance. Sometimes it takes longer than you want. Sometimes it's not even the way that you want, but it's a perfect 
justice that he meets out and he is the one who is supposed to be responsible for it we're not supposed to take revenge sometimes you see the justice system work folks sometimes you see it work sometimes you see people punished rightly for what they did and it's the justice system that meted out that punishment god still has a hand in that justice system however he does it that way or another he is the one who we are supposed to trust and we're to leave room for his wrath not inflict our own personal wrath on that person or those people even if they did kill our dog we have to say it's god's to avenge he will repay and then he's going to pull out of the proverbs here and he's almost finished with his little his little sermon and he pulls out of the proverbs really interesting how he quotes it on the contrary he says if your enemy is hungry feed him give him food if he is thirsty give him something to drink what i want him to starve i want him to to never drink one drop of water right this is our instinct but the way of jesus is the opposite you do what is unexpected and here's the really interesting quote again from the proverbs in doing this you will heap burning coals on his head do not be overcome by evil the conclusion but overcome evil with good there are many ways that people interpret this passage verse 20 some people say well you see you really want to get vengeance on that person and satisfy your desire for justice you do good to him you're going to drive him crazy it'll be like or her crazy it'll be like putting burning coals on their head yes you know you can get your revenge by being nice and you think about it that way i mean that's one way of looking at it it may not be the way that's intended here if you look at the quote from the proverbs you see that paul has left one part out and it says the lord will bless you he did not quote that part of the proverb curious as if to say that what you're doing here is not for you but for the person there's another way to interpret this passage that might be a little more on the mark there was a tradition in that time the time of the proverbs were written this would be solomon who wrote the bulk of the of the proverbs in the old testament uh, in the Egyptian culture, when they showed repentance, they would put coals on their heads and walk around with coals on their heads and transport them, hot coals, just like it says here. And this was a, a sign in the Egyptian culture that a person was showing repentance or contrition for something that they did. A bit like the Hebrew tradition that we see in the Old Testament where they would put sackcloth and ashes on. Remember, you see this in the Old Testament. Well, in the Egyptian culture, they would put this burning coals on their head. What may be said here, and maybe the right way to interpret it is, if you give your enemy food, 
if you give them drink, you may well bring them by your behavior to a place of repentance. They may be shocked at your kindness. They may be shocked at how you're behaving in the opposite way that they would expect. And they may well change as a result and become repentant, just like those Egyptians who put those hot coals on their head. That may be a bit more on the mark in terms of understanding the passage. And then he ends it. So you do not be overcome by evil. It's spiritual warfare, folks. You're fighting with that person. You're fighting with those people. It's causing you anger. It's causing you stress. It's keeping you from sleeping at night. You can't stand to see their face. You feel guilty on the one hand. You don't on the other hand. That's, a, that's an inner battle, folks. You want to talk about the work of Satan in people's lives. I do believe it is predominantly in the area of breaking relationships and causing especially Christians to not follow this list. This is warfare. It's about good and evil. You do not be overcome by evil. All of these things have to do with that battle between good and evil. You overcome evil with good. It's greater than evil. This is what he's trying to say. He's trying to say that it will win. It's more powerful. It's greater, but you have to practice it. And this is the hard part. This is why he gives you, I counted 25 imperatives in, you know, whatever it is, uh, 12, 13 verses, one after the other, after the other. Folks, if you were to memorize even one passage of scripture in your life, Memorize this one and live this way. People will be shocked at the way you behave. They will observe you and say, how is it possible that this person under these circumstances behaved in this way? This is not normal. This is not the way people are supposed to live. And they talk about their God. Maybe there's something to their God then because this is totally unexpected behavior but you have to do what it says you have to obey stand with me please as we finish up in prayer here uh musicians you can come if you want to and just play in the background as we finish um father i i think of uh just the 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 day-to-day grind in people's lives and uh lord i believe every single person in this room and people who are watching online we all can think of a situation we all can think of a person maybe it's a group of people maybe it's in the past maybe we have no interaction with them but we can all think of that one that one thing that rises to the top that brings us the most tension that brings us the most anxiety and there's a there's something that needs to be practiced here from this list uh, in people's lives. So I pray, Lord, to make it really simple and practical. You would just give people uh, courage. You would fill people with power to do what you say. Maybe it means they pick up a, a phone and make a call or they communicate with someone. Maybe it means they show 
hospitality towards someone who they wouldn't otherwise. Maybe it means, Lord, that they literally are giving their enemy something to eat and something to drink. Uh, maybe it's just trusting in you that you will be the avenger, that you will bring about justice in a, in a horrible situation. Whatever it is, Lord, would you take people to the next step to walk across the line and obey and do what you said we pray to that end together in jesus name and everyone said amen and amen the lord bless you today remember if you have kids outside to pick them up and uh, don't run out too quickly there's john wick is not playing here uh you know in the next 20 minutes okay god bless you everyone have a wonderful sunday Far.